Hello, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us for the NASDAQ Dorsey Wright podcast on this Wednesday, May 6th. My name is Ian Saunders, and I'm joined here by Eric McCardle and Steve Raymond. First podcast that we have here in the month of May, and with the month of May brings about um, the evaluation of uh, the, the change in seasonality, rather, with the market. Um, as you may be familiar with the old market adage, to sell in May and go away. Um, we have some models on the platform that try to take advantage of some of that seasonality. Um, so, so for the majority of the time here today, we're going to be focusing on um, some of those models, the FSM, the fund score method based models, um, which are evaluated on a quarterly basis, um, but trying to capture that seasonality by looking at seasonal quarters. So these models are going to be evaluated at the beginning of the month, February, May, August, and November. Um, and so we saw that this latest model evaluation occurred um, after market closed on Monday with the trades coming out there yesterday morning. Um, and we saw uh, uh, changes here to many of the models, um, but not all of the models. Is that right there? It is. And I, I think that's, you know, one of the most important points to, to kick this off, Ian, is that, you know, some of the changes that didn't happen actually speak to, you know, really where the strength is in the market and what has continued through the, this last seasonal quarter, which has been, uh, quite tumultuous, right? We, we've had this COVID outbreak uh, where the world looks entirely different than it did at our last update in February. And so, you know, in that vein, if we start with our core solution models, which are going to be looking at inventories of, of ETFs, uh, predominantly core based with a focus on domestic equities, for the U.S. core and a focus on size and style factor exposure, as well as the ability to go international for the all-cap world model, neither of those two holding models saw an update with this turn, um, which is, is really interesting, right? And if, so if we look under the hood at the all-cap world model, which again is going to be the more granular of the two, our current holdings maintained through and through with JKE, so the iShares Morningstar Large Growth ETF, and the Invesco QQQ Trust. And so, you know, that again is more of a continuation of the growth theme uh, dominating equity markets that we've really seen play as the primary narrative here uh, for a couple of years now, right? And so the continuation of that, um, that holding steady with those model holdings has done well for the model, right? We see on the year model is just in the black relative to an all cap world benchmark that's down about 15%. So a lot of strength and resilience among those holdings. And pivoting to the, the, the US version, um, which is going to be a little bit more bare bones in terms of the inventory, and, and of course only staying within domestic equities we see a similar posture in the queues, but also a focus on momentum via MTUM. So again, I think just you know, really noteworthy in saying, okay, we've had a lot of change here in terms of you know, some of the sector strength, um, some of just the, the overall tone and risk markets over the past few months, but the core solution models really haven't budged. Let me jump in and say that the, you know, kind of one of those types of market tur turbulences, you know, some of those forms that we see them uh, show up in, it, you know, sometimes the market does change its preferences, like just large cap towards small cap or an extreme uh, growth towards value. And you see this 
shuffling around of kind of the not so much the sectors but uh, in the in the asset classes or style boxes and and then many many market uh, corrections or, or, or bear markets you know show that the market has not changed its preferences and I think this is a a good example of of a very turbulent market but the market's preferences concerning the major style boxes or asset classes uh, remained pretty consistent. Uh, and so the, these models, the core solution, U.S. core, the all-cap world, uh, are designed, the inventory is designed in such a way as to, you know, kind of stick with the main, you know, the, the main building block and not have so many choices in, in the inventory that uh, it drifts into, you know, let's say too many style boxes or, 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 or peripheral of the inventory, but rather, you know, stay focused on, you know, these, these important building blocks. And, and this is one of those markets where you see that the, you know, the large growth and the and the you know the core based uh, S and P 500 type funds um, have been the ones that we've stuck with uh, really all the way from uh, you know the whole year and and certainly no change since uh, since since February. Um, keep in mind that you know the, the models are designed to you know uh, through the scores you know to change if, if changes are needed. Uh, and in this case, uh, in these inventories, we're right on we're right on the target, you know, of large cap U.S. Back to you, Eric. Yeah, well, well said. And and so you know, with that theme, where we've seen the growth story remain dominant, we've we've seen technology you know, remain the dominant sector. Uh, we've also seen you know more of an offensive posture within one of our go anywhere models, as we put it, uh, the T row price lineup. Ian, do you want to you want to share with us some observations from that model change? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think a lot of the themes that we see this this consistency of the large cap spaces there. Can Steve talk about there? Um, we did see that reflected in many of the changes, and there were quite a few changes for the the T row price um, model that we have there. Again, this model is a little bit different, looking at five holdings instead of just two holdings, like those core solutions models. Um, so, we saw the, this model actually sold out of four positions there. Been moved into a uh, communications technology, and then it had some other the large cap areas in there as well. Blue chip growth, um, health sciences came into the portfolio as well, with general kind of rise and strength that we've seen in healthcare on the backs of this global health crisis that we have. Um, and it, it was interesting to see global stock come into the portfolio as well. Um, so one of the models there that saw a, a fair amount of rotation, but it, it does speak to the, uh, the, the the flexibility of the portfolio. It does kind of take advantage of trends that we're seeing going on in the market. And here we see that those large cap growth dominated trends are, are being displayed here in these portfolio changes as well. An interesting point to, to make here, uh, Ian, is, is the, uh, the T-Row management, you know, they really know how to focus down on on the areas that they believe are the right ones and quite frankly you don't see a lot of non-us at all in in many of our models be able to you know make it into the tops of the inventory so you know really you know it's quite comforting that you have pretty accurate managers that know what they're doing and and so we're starting to see some of those global stocks come in believe it or not and i think it's encouraging that you know they're they're able to dip in that space and make something happen there and that may grow you know, it could be that we see, you know, in future quarters, the T-Row managers pick up some of these, uh, you know, decimated non-U.S. areas to a greater degree. And I think that, that that would benefit them. And I think that they already know that because 
uh, you know, some of their non-U.S. funds or some of the best uh, long-term performing non-U.S. funds we've seen from the active manager universe. So I think, you know, this could be chapter one of the idea of, you know, starting to dip a little bit into the global uh, stock scene, probably a toe dip here. Um, but, that, you know, it is interesting to see and certainly a good story to tell, you know, your clients that, you know, that we've got some uh, good updates and, you know, their stories uh, anchored in the U.S., but uh, we got some really good managers that are, you know, starting to toe dip around in other areas. Um, and that's part of why we do change the model. In other words, we update the model, you know, multiple times a year, four times a year as a standard uh, rhythm. Uh, and, and, and part of that is, is the reason to pick up on some of these minute changes uh, that, that can be very helpful, you know, as those, as those quarters stitch together long term. Back to you, Ian. Yeah, and I think another the important thing to keep in mind here is is that as as Eric mentioned, these models uh, this is one of the more flexible models that we have here in the FSM suite. Um, the universe is comprised of not only equity related areas, but also has um, some fixed potential exposure to fixed income and other areas in there as well. Um, so it was definitely interesting to see the global stock uh, portfolio, the global stock fund come into the model. But it was also interesting to see that even with the the risk off mindset that we had for, for uh, most of the, the, at least the end of the, the uh, first quarter, end of the seasonal quarter here, um, that we saw the management from T-Road allow these stocks, these stock-focused funds to rise back to the top of the score ranking so quickly that we did, didn't have the, uh, the more fixed income related areas hanging around that we're able to get back onto the, the risk-on environment, at least as dictated here by this T-Road lineup. Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to add, and I think you both have, have touched on this in, in, in a way in saying you know, one of the benefits of this active management process is being able to to have refined exposure into those areas where a, a passive index approach may not do as well. And so, you know, it kind of just solidifies our philosophy behind this model lineup. Um, you know, not only from Tiro but also from the other the other um, offerings that we're going to go through today, in pairing together, right, and being able to offer complementary strategies, um, you know, to one another. So over to you, Steve. Well, I, I just wanted to like draw from some some historical uh, experience, which you know is is not obvious. You know, for you know advisors in these days, they 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 don't remember sometimes that in past uh, market turbulent zones, um, that the managers you counted on stopped doing what they they did so well. I, I, I'll reference back to uh, a market collapse back in '99 through 2000 and through 2001 where certain uh, focus managers in those days, uh, I, I don't really need to name the name at this point, um, but you would know it if I said it, uh, that they, you know, they were very focused on the way up, but the market was so severe on the way down that they actually changed their investment philosophy. And they did so what, what now in retrospect looked like, you know, a bottom of a market. So they really left people uh, hanging on this, uh, you know, recovery process. And I think Ian made a great point where, you know, look how T. Rowe has, you know, uh, suffered like the rest of us, like the rest of the world, uh, with incredible uh, turbulent markets. But they they, st they stuck to their investment theme, which is to be, you know, some of the best focused managers on the street. They stuck with it uh, and, 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 again, didn't abort that mission and, and try to do something else. And I think that we're, we're really appreciative of managers that you know stick with their their discipline. That's why we that's why we use them. You know, in other words, you could say that's why we hire them. 
to be involved in, in, in an abstract way to say we, we want we want the best uh, cultures and managers that do what they do best and we count on them to do it we count on them to be uh, to do their style and I think T Rose done a you know as Ian pointed out an incredible job you know to take the hit along with the rest of the world and yet snap back uh, as expected you know you you, you, you shouldn't presume that, that that every manager out there uh, you know, has that gift of sticking with their discipline. But I just wanted to shout out that Tiro has definitely done that here. Back to you. Yeah, and, and, and further on that, you know, one of the, uh, of course, the shop culture and the investment philosophy and track record is so important in how we, we design these inventories and models. But at the end of the day, the other thing to remember is relative strength is ultimately holding these these funds accountable right and so whether or not the manager is is let's say competent or um you know proactive about their decision making that's where our methodology and our research are always there as a backstop in, in determining strength and weakness so um just kind of you know as, as one may say um playing the piano with both hands in a sense where, where we're able to pair you know, different types of research and different types of security selection into one coherent strategy. So with that, we can pivot over to another Go Anywhere model that saw a few changes. This time we're looking at the First Trust ETF lineup and we did see very similar changes here. We had a shift primarily among equity funds, right? So uh, another offensive posture same idea as the T row inventory, where we're looking at kind of a growth focus, you know, a diverse inventory and lineup of different ETFs that give you the ability to go into different asset classes. Um, but if you are, you know, predominantly looking at the ETFs versus the mutual funds, you know, this first trust model is a terrific one for you there. And of course, we see similar themes echoed uh, with a focus on biotechnology and healthcare, as well as technology in general with the internet um, up here. And we, we mentioned in the report recently, FDN actually moving to all-time highs as of late. So, you know, a lot of strength there within technology, which has, of course, been a, a dominant theme, uh, you know, leading up into this market environment and continuing throughout the other side. Certainly there, Eric. And, and uh, uh, um, another point to mention on here is looking towards the technology in the healthcare space. So we've seen continue to kind of lead, lead the way, uh, as you mentioned, and looking at the sector exposure um, of the underlying holdings of the funds that we had here in this model. I mean, we see a very, very uh, vast overweight towards those two particular sectors uh, with 40% exposure in both technology and healthcare, making up over 80% of the portfolio in and of itself. Um, definitely looking towards um, those two areas that, to kind of continue to take, uh, to take the uh, at least the equity space forward here as we continue down the next seasonal quarter. Yeah, and let me point out that, you know, this this model, again, you know, First Trust is very, uh, in the ETF realm, you know, uh, they are masters of uh, focus, uh, where they run a great shop, and their inventory is generally, you know, what I call hotter, which means a little bit higher beta type inventories. You know, and, and some may say when I say that, oh, they, you know, step back a little bit and say, oh, well, you know, we don't, we don't know if we want to get hot right here in this kind of market but you know, that's why we that's why we work with them uh because they do this they do this uh culture of high focus very well i will point out that you know that model's picked up some mid caps uh some mid cap exposure uh so i you know just just to just to break the ice and saying that 
you know, not everything is just a 100% large cap in, in, in the equity part portion of the models that we've seen, which is pretty interesting to see. Um, but it also follows that there's not much small cap, uh, just like we don't see small cap as a major asset class in relative strength in this, in this portion of the, of the episode with the market. Um, but be assured that the, the T. Rowe is an excellent small cap manager. And if need be, you know, as, as the months and quarters go by, uh, you know, we'll be able to address that asset class. But for now, I would say that there, there's almost no, no trace of small cap and, in kind of that first trust high, high relative strength universe. And quite frankly, with our independent research, we also do, uh, we don't see any reason to be in small caps either. So it's kind of a, you know, you know, one supports the other as you tell your story to your clients, you know, why you're where you are and why you aren't where you aren't. And, uh, and as you can see, you know, the, the T-Row management and the Dorsey Wright research, uh, it's kind of hand in hand here, uh, but both independently saying the same things. Uh, which is kind of comforting to build that storyline as you approach your, you know, clients to tell the story, you know, as they're starting to open up their statements, uh, you know, one or two statements have gone through here, possibly, uh, you know, it's time to talk to them. Not only is it time to talk to them, but time to talk to them about these new model updates, which are so fantastic, you know, here, you know, let, you know, touch base with your clients and say, Hey, here's what we're doing. Uh, here's mm -hmm. the activity. Um, it, here's what we're involved with. And here's some storylines that, you know, you can pass on to your clients. Back to you. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, Steve. With that, this is—I mean, as you, you mentioned it the, initially there—that this is going to be one of the more um, risk-on, the, the hotter models that we had there with that first trust model. So, for those of you who are looking more towards uh, more, maybe more defensively minded portfolio, maybe not something as, as hot or as, as risk-on as as some of some of these initial models that we we're taking a look at, we point you in the direction of the American Funds model that we have, the American Funds FSM model that we have. I'm again going to be a flexible inventory looking at equity and fixed income names in that potential universe. And we saw as of the most recent evaluation, um, there were three changes to that to the American Funds 5S uh, model there. Um, and it's now going to be um, overweight towards fixed income at 60% of the portfolio. And then the remaining 40% there um, taken in to um, taken into domestic equity, but definitely an, an interesting um, different differential to see um, with the different providers with different managers there, um, seeing that more risk off approach coming from the American fund space as these fixed income related funds continue to score relatively higher uh, among the model universe there. Yeah, no doubt about it. In fact, keep in mind that, uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons or primary reason we want to, you know, two reasons we want to work with American funds is they stick with what they do. They stick with what they do best. And, and that is more of a conservative uh, nature. Uh, in general, um, and that's true with their fixed income and, and equity pieces. They're uh, what I call over-diversified. I use that term in a good way. Uh, and probably the best over-diversified, you know, types of managers that, that we'll ever run, a, you know, run across. So they definitely complement, uh, you know, the other types of models that we do. And they definitely work great as a standalone model um, to work with uh, what I call, you know, the, the, the general high net worth uh, clientele around the world, which usually have, you know, some age to us. And, uh, you know, we're not up for, you know, the roller coaster ride in the, in the, in the uh, sharpest way uh, that we can find. Sometimes we're, we're, we're quite fine, you know, building that wealth. Wealth building is, is the American funds uh, culture. I, I wanted to make a note, 
you know, before we move on to other commentaries, that uh, American funds also raises cash inside their funds. Uh, in general, T Row does not do this, but American funds does raise cash as they, you know, as their, uh, you know, team management decides that they need to raise some cash. And so many of their equity funds have slivers of some, you know, 10 or 15% cash in them as we floated in from March into April. And that slowed down uh, some of the scoring on the equity funds. So I just wanted to make that point that uh, as they got more conservative in their equity funds, uh, it, it, you know, it slowed down the scores. And, and of course, their fixed income funds are actually uh, some of the highest scoring funds in the entire inventory. And I just wanted to make sure that uh, I made a point that, well, part of this is by the function of how, how American funds run money. Um, and I think that's important to note. Uh, on the top line, though, it, it's the conservative management style, and I think it works very well uh, with uh, as a standalone or uh, as a complement to other models that you would choose. Back to you. Absolutely. I want to throw one comment in there, Steve, because you made a good point about um, how they manage their their portfolios. And you know, one of the things that I, I'm really fond um, about regarding Capital Group is is the the transparency of their bond portfolio, right? When when they put a bond portfolio together, they're looking for exposure that's going to play as you would expect and not really throw a whole lot of uh, rocket fuel on the mix. And and I respect that in a bond manager. So when you see these moves, um, and, and as you pointed out, within that universe, you know, the three top uh, scoring funds right now are the three bond funds that are included. You, you know what you're getting in terms of that bond exposure. And I think that's um, especially now, more important than ever as we go through uh, a really you know, turbulent period in not only the equity market, of course, but also in the bond market and, and making sure that your fixed income exposure is going to behave as you would expect. I think it's important to, uh, to back up what you said, Eric, because in 2008, in that dilemma, uh, you know, we still use the same American funds, but uh, they're still the, you know, the, the most wonderful family, the same, doing the same thing that they're doing here. The same thing they've always done. And, and I will say that in 2008, we faced a crisis with not only equity, as many people remember, but we, we actually faced a crisis with bond funds uh, and uh, various shops that I won't name here, but do have big names, uh, had very well-respected bond funds. And many of them uh, fell prey to that 2008 market uh, and plunged uh, far beyond anyone's expectation and sent a shock through the, that market of, of how unstable what would otherwise be uh, a trusted core bond fund. Uh, American funds, however, held up beautifully, absolutely beautifully uh, with their management style in that in that vein. And I think, Eric, to, to, to bolster the point is, is that's what we need. We didn't know we needed that in 2020. But we certainly needed it. You know, we found out we needed it, and so we're very thankful uh, that American Fund sticks with their, uh, you know, their management style and delivers. You know, delivers. Uh, you know, the, the type of portfolio that we need, and we've got them. And and of course, uh, FSM's uh, rotated in between the monthly and the seasonal models. You know, they're they're they've been the monthly models have been rotating into the fixed income. The seasonal models have done so here. Uh, and I, th I think that's comforting that we're actually using funds that have been tried and tested uh, in, in, in real historical markets uh, that were there uh, and, and have shown to you know, hold up uh, you know, very, very well 
in this, what you would call, incredibly turbulent market. So I think that's a good point, Eric. Back to you. Yeah, and, and it, it does mirror the asset class group scores in a way too, right? Where we see fixed income remaining at the top of the rankings uh, for the all, all group section. We expand to view the 135 that are publicly displayed on the NASDAQ grocery right platform. Um, you know, bond funds are, are holding their own extremely well, right? And we've seen that in other indicators across the site. So th this is kind of an interesting uh, picture that, that translates over to what those indicators and what those scores are showing elsewhere. And if we shift over to another inventory and another model within the FSM lineup with the Vanguard 5S model, we see a similar posture here where fixed income has made the presence known uh, within the model holdings upon that seasonal turn. Any observations on that front, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's interesting to note here. So with this model, we saw uh, three new funds come into the uh, come into the portfolio there. As Eric mentioned, we had two bond funds coming in. Um, and then also had the, the addition of healthcare as well, kind of continuing that, um, that that strength of healthcare that we've seen, which, as Eric touched on, when you're looking at the asset class group scores page, um, some of the areas that we've seen rise in strength on that page over the past couple months have been healthcare and bonds. And so we see that reflected here in, um, in, in the Vanguard model. Again, the, the, gonna, the, the flexible nature of the model really coming to light here. Um, looking at the 60-40 the split currently between 60% equities, in this case, um, the reverse of American bonds. So 60% equities here with the Vanguard model and then 40% exposure there in bonds. Um, Going to be rounding out the equity exposure with healthcare and then two growth-focused um, funds there. And then looking at a Vanguard total bond market index and then as well as a government bond fund, um, giving you that, that, um, that more kind of um, moderate approach, I guess, if you will. If you consider the fully fully equity as you know, maybe the more aggressive, you have the American funds a little bit more conservative, as Steve said. And then here we have Vanguard coming in here, and their score lineup is indicating a more mod moderate path here going forward. Yeah, uh, in fact, uh, uh, that, that's kind of why we use Vanguard because they really fell fill out a, a bell curve of all these asset choices available. They have a massive inventory per se, but we really don't count on them for active management because they really don't provide much active management. We count on them for the ability to get exposure, uh, you know, to, you know, definitive known asset classes and let that relative strength, uh, you know, uh, play out, you know, over the months and quarters. And I think it's a good compliment to the other active managers. Keep in mind that, you know, some, there are years when it, when uh, non-active management seems to do very well, uh, there are years uh, where active managers, you know, uh, seem to be the only thing that works. And so, you know, what we do in the FSM, you know, catalog is make sure that we're, you know, paying t attention to those different types of cultures. And so I, d I do encourage, you know, uh, working with active managers. Uh, I do encourage working with our focus inventories that we put together. But certainly Vanguard plays very well uh, as a mix with, with those other models in that, Basically, there's there's not a lot of active management, but there's just active relative strength work. Uh, you know that 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 makes sure that you're paying attention to those you know other broad themes in the in the market. Uh, I think that proves helpful and it gives a good anchor to the portfolio. Back to you. And and when you're looking at that kind of anchor there, as you mentioned, I mean, we with a, any kind of. Uh, fully uh, fully invested portfolio probably going to be looking to have exposure towards other areas that might not necessarily just be um, be, be equity focused maybe you want to have that kind of core 
core exposure to some fixed income aspects as well. And so we have those, uh, we have fixed income related models that are specific to the FSM um, lineups here too, looking specifically there at the FSM PIMCO all asset and the FSM Franklin fixed income, both looking at, at their respective uh, inventories of uh, fixed income related funds from those two managers um, and applying that fund score approach. Um, it was interesting that we saw in both of those um, models, both of those seasonal models there, um, both of those models had two changes and we saw um, government uh, securities funds being purchased in, in each of those uh, respective models there. So kind of in line with the, the government approach that we see from Vanguard, we see that reflect in the more fixed income focused models here too. That's right. And so within the fixed income space, you know, of course that, that government trend still being attacked from a relative strength standpoint, um, you know, we've seen a little bit of a, a tilt away from risk within not only the fixed income scores, but of course, as a reflection of these model inventories um, in, in moving out of, again, the risk assets such as convertibles or preferreds or especially high yield, right? We noticed that, that all three of those are absent in our primarily fixed income models. So, you know, again, I think just an important point to touch on here is that within your fixed income exposure, you want to definitely know what you own right now. And, you know, these models do a nice job of labeling that as such. You know, and, and Franklin, you know, one of the reasons we, we love that shop is they really run fixed income in more of a classic manner, which, you know, people, advisors that have been in the markets for, you know, some 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years in some cases, um, you know, that, that classic way of, of running fixed income and having more of a transparent uh, underneath the hood understanding of how that fixed income is run. You know, Franklin's one of the best uh, fixed income desks, you know, out there. And I think that we rely on that for, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward fixed income. And here it shows uh, that we've moved into a pretty conservative nature, uh, you know, both last month and this quarter. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that, that's what, that, that's what the relative strength is telling us to do. And, and of course the ability to go back to other, uh, high, you know, higher risk fixed income assets, uh, certainly doable. Uh, but again, in the seasonally weak cycle of the market, I think this is kind of a, a pretty good move. I think we'll find, uh, and very complementary to other, you know, other asset approaches that, you know, that you would, uh, that you would be mixing in, like, for example, T row price, American funds. You know, Franklin plays very well uh, with those models as that as that piece that helps you build out a strategic piece by implementing a fixed income model with your other other models that can do various things. Back to you. And one way that we we see that um, the potential implementation that kind of combining of these different models reflected is is through a um, a model of models that we actually have here on the platform readily available. We call the FSM Tortoise and Hare model, which is looking at combining, um, essentially combining m many of these different models together in in into one single uh, model that we have there on the platform, looking at um, exposure in the, the U.S. core, core solution model, as well as the all-cap world. You have American funds in there, as, as well as T-Row. And then the Franklin fixed income model that we just touched on is going to uh, be um, have exposure in that portfolio, too. Uh, the Vanguard bond market is going to wrap that up. Uh, this model is geared towards the, the, the tortoise and hare 80-20. You're always going to have a 20% invested in uh, fixed income and 20% invested in equity. Um, and the rema remainder is going to be flexible in terms of where we see that allocation go as, as dictated by the models. Um, and, and so interestingly enough, we, we see 
that um, that has with these model updates, we've seen that exposure change a little bit, um, moving more towards a, um, a more of that moderate approach. We have right now models still slightly overweight towards equity um, at, at just over 50 percent. Um, but we still have about 40 percent exposure toward to, to fixed income now with these recent changes. Um, so seeing a, a little bit more of that, that moderate move going forward um, when you're looking to bring many of these portfolios together in, in one format. That's right, Ian. And the beautiful nature of you know combining these models together is that they're independent pieces. They're they're slightly or significantly different inventories, and significantly different cultures behind those inventories uh, leads to you know kind of that that sourcing the crowds, you know sourcing all the disciplines and the strategies to see how to address the current market that we're in. I just think it's absolutely fantastic that we moved from an 80-20, we moved in, in some sense to a 60-40-ish uh, uh, type of, of moderate uh, allocation. And, and it's all done for you. You didn't have to make that call. You didn't have to sweat that one out. It, it just did it because basically you're working with uh, you know several sub-strategies as they blended together. They pointed into a new direction, which which was more conservative. So I think it's a very you know active you know active way to say my strategy I follow my strategy but it uh, changes the guideposts changes the strategic allocation you know as the months and quarters go by uh, and that's an incredible benefit to the advisor using this uh, allowing him to you know uh, address the market but address it in a pretty sophisticated way but not complicated way. Uh, because what you're really doing is you're allowing the, the relative strength from Dorsey Wright, uh, but really singing through uh, the American funds and the and the and the, and the T Row, uh, and in some sense uh, Vanguard and Franklin, and certainly uh, in a great sense the core and all cap world type of approaches that we do through ETFs. Uh, it gives you a blend of mutual funds and ETFs, and it also gives you a pretty pretty smart and sophisticated way to produce a strategic allocation for your client, which I just think is a, is a, is a very valuable tool for you to consider. Uh, I do know that, you know, speaking to a lot of advisors, they're not aware that we run a master model called Porsche from the hair. Uh, and, and so this is a good, you know, good, a good uh, uh, podcast to, you know, to highlight that. Uh, keep in mind some of the naming of the model is really my fault uh, where I said, you know, we ought to combine, you know, the good old tortoise, which has really been more of the American funds and Franklin shops, which are always there. They're, they're applying, uh, you know, a good diversity uh, in their mix. And then uh, for the hare, or you could say the jackrabbit, uh, that, that focus approach, that, that, you know, putting down the gas pedal, uh, making the car go a little faster approach. Uh, you know, of course, zero price, you know, is, is, is known on the street as that kind of manager. And so, you know, combining the tortoise and the hare, uh, rather than viewing them as a tortoise over there and a hare over here, combining them is very complementary, where the whole unit will speed up or slow down uh, based on, on market, uh, market conditions. But you're still carrying along every bit of uh, that active management and that relative strength active management all along the way. Back to you. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if, if nothing else, Steve and, and Ian, it provides a framework for how to conceptualize putting the FSM models together. You know, you can use this, this single master model that we've put out there in the form of the tortoise and hare. Uh, you can use that effectively, or you can use it again as a guide 
to say, maybe I want to have a little bit more, you know, core ETF exposure, or maybe I don't need, you know, two different active managers uh, within my mix. Um, that's all good. That's the beauty of this is that we've given you the building blocks to build out effective and, and scalable portfolios that you can manage across a book of business um, and feel confident in your process in doing so. So, you know, I think that that kind of brings us to a good wrap up point for our quarterly FSM model update. You know, and, and we've seen a lot of changes, as we mentioned, right? Um, overall, a risk on approach, but still a little bit of defensiveness in the market for some of these models uh, with that master model concept showing more of that moderate view. So, you know, all we can do at this point is follow where the relative strength dictates, um, but we're fortunate that we have a process in helping us do that. And so for you all at home, if you're watching or listening and you have any questions regarding these concepts, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 804-320-8511 or drop us a line at dwa at dorseywright.com. And just let us know if you have any questions about any of the things we've talked about today. Uh, we're always interested in finding ways to incorporate this into your investment process. And we feel highly confident that uh, in doing so, you will have a, a better time in the markets. So with that, Ian, Steve, always a pleasure for you all at home. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.